0: We've looked now at the history of Abraham and the relationship of God's promises to the various events of Abraham's life, and we've also seen the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham and uh, to Israel in the Old Testament, and we've traced the fulfillment of those promises also into the New Testament and into the new heavens and the new earth as prophesied in the New Testament. And we singled out especially the promise, I will be your God and the God of your children. That was in the last session. Now, we have one more session on the covenant of God with Abraham, and we're going to focus our attention on just one verse in Genesis. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. In that verse, we read this, He, that is Abraham, believed in the Lord, And he accounted it to him for righteousness. Here we have the doctrine of justification by faith alone, as the Apostle Paul teaches us in Romans 4. And that's what we want to consider. Now, this doctrine of justification by faith alone is a very important doctrine in the Scriptures. We are all, I think, very familiar with Paul's insistence on this doctrine especially in the books of Romans and Galatians. In Romans, the section that deals especially with the doctrine of justification by faith alone is Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to the end of chapter 5. And in Galatians, really that whole book is devoted to the idea of justification by faith. Paul is writing against the Judaizers who held that it was necessary for the Gentile Christians in the New Testament to be circumcised in order to be saved. And Paul says we must not return to the works of the law. We must understand the doctrine of justification by faith alone. James also makes a point of this doctrine of justification by faith alone in chapter 2 of his epistle, and he, of course, makes the well-known statement there in that chapter that we are justified by faith and works. But what James is doing in that chapter is, of course, showing that the faith that justifies is a living faith, not a dead faith. The devils believe and tremble. That's not a justifying faith. It is those whose faith is a living faith, a faith that produces works, who are therefore justified before God. And this whole idea of the doctrine of justification by faith fits also into the broader scriptural teaching of salvation by grace alone. All of God's salvation comes to us by grace as a free gift. And we can say as well of salvation as of justification that salvation is by grace through faith. So our justification is by grace through faith. Now, there are three Old Testament passages that the Apostle Paul uses especially to support the doctrine of justification by faith alone. One of those passages is is in Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord." And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Notice that in the first two verses, David speaks objectively. He doesn't talk about himself, but rather about the blessedness of the one whose transgression is forgiven. There he's explaining to us the doctrine of justification by faith and the blessedness of the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. It's in verses three to five, which I also read that David takes this doctrine, objectively stated doctrine, in verses 1 and 2 and tells us about his experience of it. He says, when he kept silent, his bones waxed old through his groaning. But when he confessed his sin, then God forgave immediately the iniquity of his sin. In other words, David had to do nothing. He did no works. The Lord simply did not impute iniquity to him because of his grace to David and because and through the faith that David had manifested in confessing his sin. So that's the first passage that the apostle quotes. The second is in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, Habakkuk 2 verse 4 Where we read, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And of course the third passage is Genesis 15, verse 6. And this is the passage of which the Apostle makes the most in both Romans and Galatians. In both books there is an extended discussion of this passage from Genesis Now there we read there um, that Abraham believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. And when we read there in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed in the Lord, what the uh, scriptures are saying there is that Abraham believed the promise which God had just spoken to him. Verse 5, Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. So that was God's promise, and Abraham believed that promise, that God would multiply his seed and that God would give him a son, and God then counted that to him for righteousness. Now, This may seem, at first glance, to be a somewhat strange thing. Why should faith in the promise of a son and of a numerous offspring be reckoned as righteousness? And the answer to that is, of course, that that promise of God to Abraham is all wrapped up in the whole complex of God's promises in the Old Testament, beginning with his promise to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, that there would be a seed of the woman to conquer the seed of the serpent, extending through the promises made to Noah in Genesis chapters 6 and 8, and nine, and now coming to the promise, promises, all the promises to Abraham, which we have already talked about. And the heart of those promises is, I will be your God and the God of your offspring. And the fulfillment of those promises is bound up in the Lord Jesus Christ and in that blood of the covenant, which we have seen in connection with the promise to. Uh, Adam and Eve, with the promise to uh, Noah, and now also we have seen it with the promise to Abraham, the blood of the covenant, which is the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham believed in the atoning blood, which God would provide, and he embraced the whole complex of God's promises to him and to his ancestors. And it was through his embracing of these promises of God that he received righteousness, That is, that he was justified before God. He was therefore justified in the very same way that we are justified. His salvation came to him in the very same way that our salvation comes to us. It was a gift of God's grace received by faith. Let's move on, then, to consider the details of this passage. There are three main ideas here. You have the idea of righteousness. You have the idea of faith. And you have the idea of counting or imputation. Now we're not going to talk uh, about justification by faith itself here in this connection. We've done that in other contexts, and you can refer to other messages in order to get hold of that idea of justification by faith. But what I want to do now is talk about that word count or impute. And that word is a very important word in Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, Paul uses that word count or impute or account 11 times. And I want to go through those verses in Romans chapter 4 to show you how important this uh, word is there. But we're not going to go through them precisely in order. We're going to categorize those verses a little bit. First of all, seven of the eleven times that the Apostle uses the word, he says that Abraham's faith was reckoned to him for righteousness, or that faith is reckoned as righteousness. First of all, in verse 3, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Again, in verse 5, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. In verse 9, Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only, or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Also verse 10, How then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And then also verses 22, 23, and 24, where we'll see that the word is twice translated as impute instead of as accounted. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed or accounted to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed or accounted to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So those seven times the Apostle Paul says, Faith was accounted as righteousness. Now, the Armenians have sometimes taken the these uh, statements of the apostle Paul in Romans four that faith was reckoned as righteousness, and they say, "See, God accepts faith as a substitute for works. God uh, reckons faith as a complete obedience to his law, and he accepts faith and the imperfect obedience of faith as a substitute." for perfect obedience to the law. That is not what the apostle means. That turns faith into a work, a production of man's will, instead of a gift of God, and it really makes salvation a thing that is accomplished by works rather than by grace. It's not a bare faith that Paul says is reckoned as righteousness, but it is faith in God and faith in the promises of God and faith in Christ that is reckoned as righteousness because faith receives the promises and faith receives Christ and is therefore the instrument by which we are justified by which we become righteousness become righteous before God so that's the first category of Um, uh, the word imputation in Romans chapter 4. But two other times in the passage, the apostle speaks of uh, righteousness itself being uh, accounted or imputed. So we read in verse 6, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom the Lord imputes righteousness, apart from works. So it's not faith that's accounted or reckoned as righteousness, but God imputes righteousness directly. And in verse 11 again, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. So those are two other places where we read about the imputation of righteousness, the reckoning of Christ's righteousness to our account. But then in verse 8, the apostle uses that word in a different way. He's quoting from Psalm 32, and he says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute, or account, sin. He does not reckon sin to the account. And in verse 4, one other different use. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. And that's a very interesting statement, because what the apostle is saying there is that whoever works for his righteousness whoever tries to obtain righteousness by works such as the judaizers or the pharisees or the legalists or whoever uh in modern times might believe that uh, salvation is by works the apostle paul says the wages are not counted as grace but as debt in other words We work in order to pay off our debt before God, in order to justify ourselves before God, but instead of those works um, paying off the debt, they add to the debt. They are reckoned to our account as further debt that is owed to God. If we may use a figure of speech here every work that we do under our own power every work of sin that we do every work that we do in order to obtain righteousness by ourselves is reckoned to that as debt in our account book it is only the righteousness of Christ reckoned to us that goes into the payment uh, column that pays off the debt that we have built up through our sins. Righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, is imputed or reckoned to our account then. But we want also to notice here that in Genesis 15, verse 6, Abraham has faith in the promise of God. He did not yet know Christ Himself. He looked forward, however, to the fulfillment of the promise, to the shedding of the blood of atonement, to the time when God would realize all those promises that He had made, to the time when God would give the Blood of the covenant, shed the blood of the covenant, the real blood of the covenant, for the atoning of sin. And Abraham uh, saw that time coming as the time when his salvation would be real. And it was through that promise and his faith in that promise that he received this righteousness. In fact, he recognized that nothing that God had promised to him could happen without this righteousness being granted to him in the Lord Jesus Christ. We talk about faith in Christ, and that's because God has fulfilled our pro- the promises. Christ has come. The blood of the covenant has been shed. But even for us, it's possible to say that our faith is in the promise, our faith is in the accomplishment of our righteousness by our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Our faith is in the promise fulfilled, but our faith is also still, in some respect, future. The promise that Christ is coming again, the promise that Christ will forgive our sins every time we confess our sins, and so on. So we may also speak of faith in the promise, just as Faith in the promise justified Abraham, so faith in the promise also justifies us. So that's the whole idea of imputation as the Apostle talks about it in Romans chapter 4. But let's also talk a little bit about Galatians especially Galatians chapter 3. Now, Galatians is a book which every Christian ought to be familiar with because it is so important for a proper understanding of the relationship between the promise and justification and grace and faith and so on. It is a book which... Puts to rest any idea uh, of of the Pharisees, of the Judaizers, of the Pelagians from ancient church history, of the semi-Pelagians, of the Armenians, both the older Armenians from the 17th century and modern Armenians, of the legalists, of the teachings of the Church of Rome, and even really of all false religions, which all contain some kind of idea of works that uh, obtain uh, righteousness or obtain the favor of the gods. The Apostle Paul in in Galatians uh, emphasizes particularly the matter of justification by faith alone and faith in the promises also. Let's look at four passages in Galatians chapter 3. First of all, verses 8 and 9. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing abraham now the apostle paul quotes a promise that god made to abraham in you all the nations shall be blessed you can find that promise in the promises of god that are found in the book of genesis and what the apostle paul says here then is that in proclaiming that promise to abraham god was preaching the gospel to abraham And God was proclaiming a prophecy. He was foreseeing his own justification of the Gentiles by faith. When he said, in you all the nations will be blessed, he was saying to Abraham, I'm going to justify the Gentiles by faith. And the apostle concludes, therefore, that those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. They are his children because it is in him that all the nations are blessed. A very important passage there. In chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The blessing of Abraham is identified here, I think, with the promise of the Spirit which we receive through faith. That same blessing with which Abraham was blessed, the promise of the Spirit, is the blessing that comes to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. And it came to Abraham and it comes to us through faith in the crucified Christ. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Then verses 15 to 18. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet it is confirmed. No one annuls or adds to it. So he says, once a man make a covenant, people don't change it. That covenant stands. It has. It can only be changed by mutual agreement. Well, the apostle saying that's true of God's covenant too. It's confirmed. It's not going to be changed. No one will annul or add to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And he refers there specifically, of course, to the promise, I will be your God and the God of your seed, or the God of your descendants, or the God of your offspring. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. So because that promise in Genesis 17 uses this word seed in the singular, the Apostle says that word means specifically Christ. The promise was made to Abraham and to Christ. And therefore we see those the fulfillment of those promises in Christ himself for both Jews and Gentiles. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed by God in Christ, before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. So he goes on to show here that the law, which was given under Moses, does not change the covenant which God made with Abraham does not make the promise that God made to Abraham of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, that is the inheritance of the land and the inheritance of all the promises of God, if that inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So here the apostle sets the promise over against works righteousness. If it's by works, he says, if it's by the law, then it's not by promise. But God gave it by promise. And the law, which came 430 years later, did not change that fundamental fact. Abraham was justified by grace through faith. And then verse 22 as well, But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And that is both Jews and Gentiles in the New Testament. So we see then that it was through these promises that God made to Abraham and Abraham's faith in those promises that he was justified. He believed in God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The very same thing that God does for us. We believe in God, and he reckons it to us for righteousness. May God bless you with his word.